Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another great day for a beautiful interview with Carabop Mouse, who does indeed change the way that young people, and maybe not so young people, think about themselves. It is all about rising above expectations. And that is something that Carob is a master in. Carob, welcome to my show. I'm so grateful that you're here and share your story. I'm humbled. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Carob, you, your story is, of course, starting quite early uh, in and. Probably it's best if you tell it. It's probably, you know, rather me prompting you. Um, tell sure. us, how did how did it all start with you? All right. Well, you're a doctor. Um, you're from another country, so I don't know if you know about the ACEs scale. Have you heard of that? No. Adverse childhood. It's the adverse childhood um, effects of trauma. And the highest number that you can be on that is a 10. I'm a nine on that scale. And that scale has sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse. Um, the only thing in every kind of abuse you can think of that I hadn't gone through by the age of eight was having someone killed in front of me. So uh, just a brief kind of overview of what my life was like with my mother. She, I'm biracial. She would call me slave girl and make me call her your majesty. Um, she kind of had this thing about her where she just wanted to, like humiliation was almost an art for her. She would take dirty underwear, you know, when you're a child and you have dirty underwear and she'd pin them to the outside of my clothes and she'd make me go to school that way. And she'd pay a neighbor boy to come over or she'd pay a neighbor boy to tell her after school if I wore those. So I did, I wore that to school, but I would hide behind the coat racks of the school. Um, and the teachers for two years didn't do anything about it. Just, just kind of wrote me off as, you know, maybe special needs or something. And then finally I had a teacher who was like, this isn't right, what's going on here? And she introduced me to a therapist that I had while I was, that would come to school um, and speak with me. And he actually stayed with me my entire, all the way through high school. But at the age of eight, I was done. Um, my mother and stepfather were grooming me to be a prostitute. And I was not going to handle, I was not going to do that. So I walked downtown to the police station and I said, I'm done. Put me in foster care at eight years old. And so I did go into foster care. The first time, the first thing that happened is that they brought me back to my mother and um, she was a drug dealer and she was able to hide all of her paraphernalia. She just told the, the social worker, hang on a minute. And she hid all the paraphernalia and she comes in and she's like, oh, my baby, my baby, I love you. And just saying, you know, she's a liar, blah, blah, blah. Well, as soon as the social worker left thinking, oh, I've done my work, it's all good. My mother took a pair of pliers and held them next to my mouth and said, if you ever bring the pigs to my house again, I will tear your tongue out. So I knew I had to go and to never come back. And that's how it started. And then over the years, 
this was the, I'm going to give away my age here, but this was the, the nineties and, um, little brown girls didn't really get adopted very quickly or wasn't, wasn't necessarily an option, especially with not being, um, not being an infant. I was already eight. So I lived in 18 homes in nine years. I mean, where did you got that power from? At, at age eight, I wouldn't have yeah. known what to do. Yet here you had, you actually had to grow up bloody quick, far quicker. But where did you get the, the knowledge? Where did you get the, the survival instinct from? Well, I, I must have been born with a survival instinct, but there's a few things. One of them is going to sound really cheesy, but uh, I would hide under dirty clothes so that I wouldn't get beaten because my mom would beat me 10 times with a cable cord every single day without fail. And if I moved or cried, she'd start over. So I hid under the laundry so that I wouldn't, um, she wouldn't be able to find me. And I'd watch Nickelodeon and they had the old shows like Donna Reed and uh, Leave It to Beaver. And I remember watching them going, that's what's normal. My life is not normal. And so I, in my head, I was like, I, I want something like that. So that was the first thing. Mm -hmm. And then the, the big thing for me is that I never took on myself the faults of other people. So when I was five years old, my mother decided that she was going to commit suicide. She didn't, but she had planned on it. And she sent me with someone she thought would be a good father figure. And he had no interest in being my father. So at five years old, I lost my innocence. And um, uh, I never, it was never a, you know, even though he was saying, oh, you're such a pretty girl, you know, you're, you're so sexy in that nightgown at five, right? I didn't ever take that on me and go, this is my fault. Even at that age, I was just like, that's a bad man, you know? And my mother, I was like, she's a bad woman. And so I never took it, which I've noticed uh, one of the things that I've done is we've been foster parents. We, we have secondary infertility. We're only, only able to have one child. So we tried to foster to adopt. And so many of these children take on, I wouldn't be left. This would never have happened to me, you know, if I wasn't bad, if I didn't do this, if I didn't do this. Hmm. I never had that. I can't explain why, but I mean, I guess I can. I think that it's because I've got a bigger purpose. But um. Wow. That's, that's basically it for me. That's where my strength came from. And I think that you've just nailed it there because inevitably children in their mind, they, they just focus on themselves. They're such selfish little creatures. Everything surrounds, surrounds them and everything is about me, 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 me. And that is, that is normal. That is just the way it is. But the flow on effect is that probably 99 out of 100 children that are abused will take it on as a guilt and as something that they have done. So you or were... Or see it as normal. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the other thing. Or, or see it as normal and then they become, you know, sometimes they become the predators themselves. 
exactly. Um, or, exactly. or they jump into those relationships in the future where somebody treats them that badly. Exactly. And you're leading already on to the flow on effects of that kind of belief system. And that's why, again, in, in some families, you see you see fate recurring again and again and again. And you think, why the hell? And you've just nailed it. Uh, that is that. Crikey. Now, that, that was the 90s. In the Inside the foster system, was there a psychology support as such? Did people actually offer you those, those services? Yes. Uh, thankfully for me, um, what I call it is that one person. Josh Ship is a, is a professional speaker, and he asked that question, do you have a one person? I did. His name was Paul Martin. I've actually had a couple, but um, Paul Martin was my therapist from that time at school all the way up until my junior year of high school. So I had that one person, even though I would move from home to home, who I could come to and he could say, it's not you. You're a great kid. <laughs> you know, you're, you're doing the best that you can. And that was so vital. And what actually happened to me after foster care, so I'm going to skip around here. Um, when I moved to Seattle to go to art school, I didn't have that person. I didn't have a one person at all. And that was devastating for me. Paul Martin, is he still alive? I don't know. Uh, my senior year, when I was going off, I, I wrote him a thank you letter. He had moved to California mm. and uh, I wrote him a thank you letter and I wrote my sixth grade teacher a thank you letter because those two men changed my life. Mm. Paul Martin, if you're listening to that, you're my hero. And all the other Paul Martins out there who go out of their way to make children see the truth that it is not their fault. You guys are my heroes. Paul Martin, good on him. What drove him? How, why did he do the work he was doing? Did you ever explore that? No, I mean, he was my, he, he worked for a family therapist office, or mm. he, was, he was a family therapist. And the one thing, I mean, so much time now, the kids just, they go, they, they move to a house and everything changes, everything changes, everything. And so nothing is a study in their life. I, now that I look at it, he must have made an effort to be a study in my life. That, or it was the fact that I live in a small town. And so there weren't a lot of therapists, but it seems to me like he made an effort. There were times when I was in a foster home and it wasn't going well. And he would come, he would come even on the weekends to the home and say, I know, I know that these are difficult people. I know that this is a hard situation, but you would get eaten alive in a group home. So what can you do to make it through this? And that was, that was amazing. I, I guess I maybe had like a, I mean, I, I wished he could have been my father, you know, and he was in my life long enough that maybe that would have been I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> for a for a man like that, I think there would be dozens and dozens of young young bunchkins who would love that to happen. My goodness. Yeah. Okay. Were there I need to come back to, to your mom and dad, were there 
once you got accepted into the foster care system, uh, they would have by now looked at them more carefully. Did they end up in jail for their either drug offending or, or the other things? So right before I left and um, my stepfather had went into prison because literally the week before he showed me his penis and, um, and and wanted me to look at a magazine with him. But like I said, I'd already been, I'd already been raped. That's just the, the full thing. There was no, there was no petting. There was no, it was full intercourse at five. And I'd actually told him that. And he had said, well, let's not tell your mom because we don't want to upset her. Now, as an adult, I know that's a red flag. This is a, not a good man. Mm. Um, but as a kid, I thought, oh, okay. You know, and so luckily, and it, it had to be a higher power because luckily within a week of him showing me that, he robbed a gas station and went to prison. So that was his my mother was a drug dealer and she went to prison for selling drugs. So um, at this point I had a baby brother. He was nine years younger than me and he came into foster care and uh, I had to fight to get him to stay with me because at first he went to my stepfather's sister who was a prostitute and I wanted my brother with me. And so at this, as this little kid, I had to go to court and say why I wanted my brother. And then when my mother got out of jail, um, she, we would have these visits and she would just like baby him and love on him and still treat me the same way, even in front of social workers to the point that I would sit out on the sidewalk. I'd have to go to these stupid visits. And then I would sit out on the sidewalk and just wait for them to be over because she, she just had no decency. She had, she had no heart for me. I mean, the chance of meeting none, let's rephrase that. If you look at the population, the chance of a sociopath or psychopath being there is one in hundred. So one in hundred people are nasty pieces of work. And it would appear that you have found that one in hundred and not just once, but twice actually in your parents. Um, I'm, it's brutal to hear your story, but I don't think this is the only story out there. I think there are too many other children out there and you have made it a mission to, to explore that how did that come about? I mean, you were, you were basically at a young age, you had to grow up very quickly. You got yourself in the foster system. You then went through all those changes that a young woman goes through. You're going through teenager years with your own hormonal. And, and the heart, no doubt there will have been frictions just because not everyone gets on with everyone. So, I mean, just to, to imagine that roller coaster, I don't, wow, I can just say, wow. Well, but, it was a bit different for me because, um, like I said, my other person was Mr. Garza, and, or he, my sixth grade teacher. And 
so I didn't have, you know, kids who, kids who are sexually assaulted, oftentimes they become sexually aggressive themselves or, or promiscuous or whatever. The other side of that is you become stay away from me. I'm not mm-hmm. interested. So I was so awkward, so uh, awkward around boys that sure. <laughs> my first kiss came when I was 16 and I didn't know I was supposed to close my eyes. So when the person came towards me, I screamed. I was just like, what is this? <laughs> It was an awful, horrible experience, and I had no idea. But, <laughs> but these, um, so I didn't have those kind of hormones going on. What I had was Mr. Garza gave me a message in the fifth grade. This girl on the playground yelled out that my mother was a drug dealer and I was the N word. Okay, so I, I lost my cool and I jumped over a desk like superhero style. And I pulled her hair out, like two sides, giant clumps of her hair just out. And it took two teachers to pull me off of her. And of course, everybody in fifth grade is like, oh my gosh. And I got a reputation and it was craziness, okay? I go by Carrie sometimes and they called me Scary Carrie. Oh, unbelievable, (laughs) unbelievable. So in sixth grade, I go into school. No teacher wants me. They think I am a handful and a half, even though that was a one-time experience. But they they don't want me because of that experience. Mr. Garza comes to me and he says, Carrie, can I see you outside? So I go outside and he said, so here's the thing. He said, before the school year started, we all had to decide who would take you. You know, we basically, we drew lots. And, um, and he said, I get that you have an awful situation at home. I get that, that you have no control over where you sleep at night, what you eat, what kind of horrible things are being said to you, any of that. You have no control over these things. But what you do get to control is who you want to be. He's nice. like, I see, I see a bright child. I see a kind person. I see these things. Do you want to be that person or do you want to be someone who kind of wallows in, and he didn't say wallows, that's my word, but you know, who kind of is stuck in this place of my life sucks. And I just thought, I have control of something. I have control of just one thing. And so that literally changed for me. And I became a person who from sixth grade on looked for the people who were hurting. And that is never that, that, that hasn't changed for me. So to your story, now I'll jump in. Uh, we tried to foster. We fostered for five years. Our last little girl tried to kill my son. That was, that was the end for me. And when we, when we went to our agency, they were like, I know it's hard, but you just need to let, you know, these kids get it out of their system. And I'm like, I'm not going to let somebody grab a knife and stab 40 stabs into my son's bedroom door. Not going to do it. I can't do that. And I realized, you know what? I cannot fix what I consider a broken system. I just can't. But what I can do is help the people who've been affected by it. So just starting this year, I've started a platform where I interview former fosters because I think that not just former fosters, but those who have aged out. Now, aging out is different. You know, a lot of people have 
maybe not a happy ending, but a better ending. They get adopted, they go home. That is a different ending than those of us who age out, which means that on, on our 18th birthday or within like a week, you know, and now I think it's up to age 21, but still it's very young. You are given a bag and you are said, we don't need to, you know, the burden that you've put on the state, we no longer need to, we no longer need to care for. So for me, that cut off my therapist. And that was a very hard thing because he was my mentor, you know? And so all of these things get cut off. And so what I realized is I call these people the invisible people. Our stories are invisible, yet we're one third of the homeless population. You know, we, we're a large percentage of those people who go to prison or become prostitutes or who die of drug overdoses. That's what the former foster aged out community becomes. And nobody is telling that story. You know, they're focused or they're focusing. The other thing is, is that they're focusing on the youth. They're focusing on the people who are just aging out. But I've seen people as old as in their 60s going, how how the hell do I learn to love myself when my mother didn't love me? You know, because that baggage never really goes away. It sticks with us. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I didn't know the statistics that you have just quoted. And although now that you have quoted them, it's it's a no-brainer that you actually realize that this is what what is occurring and it, it just shows the power of a poor choice of words at a very young age that that can have over a child and that is just the the the, the verbal abuse and that can destroy a child leave alone then physical abuse sexual abuse or the other the other forms of abuse that are there unbelievable and this this platform the the voice that you try to give is that in the form of a podcast or tell us tell us more about what you're achieving okay sure yeah, I, do, I do two different two different kind of things i i do a podcast and i do a youtube interview um and i i take their stories so somebody says something and I send them a message and I say, are you interested in, in having your story documented? Mm. And so one that I've just recently done is the, or that I'm currently working on is the foster care to prison pipeline. Mm. It's not my story at all, but hearing about it and giving voice and drawing mm. attention to it makes mm. these people feel that they're seen. I've had so many people who have been neglected and abused and also abused in their foster homes or one of the worst things that happens is that they're labeled so quickly. They just have, you know, they, I, I interviewed a girl who had been sexually assaulted by her stepfather from eight until 12. She told at 12, she went straight to a group home because of her age. This was not a bad kid. She hadn't done anything and she went straight to a group home where they decided the best way to control anybody is medication. So they're making, they're just passing out medication to kids and like over medicating and giving them the wrong medications, all of these things. And this is a common thread that I'm finding. And so then I talked to these people, I talked to them for about two hours 
and I take their stories and I add, I add images and I try to make something beautiful out of the wreckage that they feel. And when I'm having these conversations with them, I ask them questions like, did you have a one person? What, what point did you, at what point did you get um, your own sense of self-worth? And the people, this one, one in particular, she has, she has her master's degree. She's had, she's raised beautiful children, all of these things. And when I said, at what point did you get your self-worth? Did you feel like you had it? She goes, I really can't answer that. And it was just so shocking to me that somebody who would achieve so much still felt inadequate. So that's what I do. I try to, I try to, to offer some healing and just to, just to let them listen and also to create this space where other former fosters can, you know, maybe somebody is, especially right now with everything that's going on, maybe somebody's depressed and feeling alone, you know, they can get on my site and go, oh, that, that story sounds like something that relates to me. And I try to make sure that all of them end with hope. Like I'm not for every single person who's aged out or every person who's been a foster kid, because a lot of people want to wallow. A lot of people want to say the world owes me because I had it terrible and blah, 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 and not do anything and become a statistic. And that's not what I'm about. I'm get sorry, I get really passionate about this, but, um, I, that's why it's age out, rise up because there's a point where you have to take responsibility for your actions. It must be done. And if you don't want to do that, I'm not for you. I've got nothing for you. I'm not going to let you waste my time for two hours of blah, 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 blah. When it's just whining. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, don't be sorry. I love your passion. I love it. That's what we need. Honestly, that's what we need. I don't need bullshit. I don't need, oh, no, that is. And, okay, guys, this we are all going through various stages in our lives, and there will be times which are absolutely shit. And there are absolutely times when I want to lie down in a fetal position and just want to cry literally. And I just want to say, poor me, poor me. And that's, and you know, it's, that's okay. There will be moments yes. like that. Go through them, but don't pitch a tent there. Okay. That is, that is yes. fine. Allow yourself to, to grieve, allow yourself to be not your best. That's okay. When we would lose, when we would lose some of these beautiful kids, these beautiful foster children, my friends know that, you know, you, you generally have a day and when they're leaving you. So my friends know that they're coming to play board games with my son and I'm going to eat chips and dip pretty much for the next 24 hours. And I'm going to lock myself. I'm going to cocoon. I'm going to lock myself in a space and just like hate myself. Not, I mean, hate myself for eating all that crap, but, but, but when I open up the door, it's time to get to work. It's time to move on to the next thing. If you stay stuck in this place, you will never move forward. You know, mindset is such a huge, that is the way we succeed, you yeah. know? You are so right. You're so right. And you had to head start for all the wrong reasons uh, to take action. You took action at a very early stage and you realized that this is the key to surviving and the key to succeeding 
because that's the difference between a dream and a vision and a mission to actually take little steps of action. And that's what you do. So kudos to you. You are transforming the world by giving a platform for stories to be shared, stories that otherwise no one would hear. And do not underestimate the power of that for someone to break out of their mold and feel encouraged to share their story. And the moment that story is out, the moment there is such a different different feeling there, there's like a freedom there. There's such, suddenly you, you, your posture changes. And wow, I've told my story. It's out there. It's different. You see people, you see a relief washing right. over them. And that is what you allow your, your, your people, your tribe out there to do. And that is something that's, as you said, this, this lady who had achieved so much, it doesn't matter what you achieve. It's, it's how you feel inside. What you see out there is the mask. And, and of course, you're getting, if you're in this foster system, of course, you're getting bloody good in masks because you right. don't want to share your, your deepest inner things because it's a cruel world out there. And people get you for sure, for sure. And the second part of what I do is, uh, I'm trying to teach life skills. So the, the second part that I do is I make my own videos and talk about like having a poverty mindset or abuse or just like what skills did I wish that I had? And so I sat down and I made a list of 56 things and I'm trying to make a video on every single one of them and put them out there because they're not there <laughs> because the other problem is that the people who are aware of the issues that aren't former fosters, they don't necessarily get it. And what they think is, how can I save these people? Oh. You know, and that is probably one of the worst things that people can think is how can you save us rather than how can you teach people to save themselves? And exactly. so that's the huge part of what I'm doing right now. And they're, they're a little cheesy because I'm just figuring everything out. But that's my, my, uh, my goal is like, how do I teach people, you know, that maybe that scarcity mindset can help you right now? Or maybe like, I, I hear a lot of people say things like, oh, we shouldn't go, you know, we should never have to buy clothes at the thrift store. And I think, why? Yeah. Why would you? I'm like, we're a middle-class family and I shop at the thrift store first. And that's why we're a middle-class family, you know? And so. <laughs> if you, if and you look, no, no, read, read books, uh, for example, read books about uh, the, what are the, the typical titles? Uh, what are the common habits of the millionaire next door? And you will, right. you will see exactly, they will look around. They will shop for the cheapest. They will shop, yes. they will shop for, for good quality, but equally they will look that they can reduce, you reduce the amount. And, and this, yes. uh, a, good, a good example is my best friend. He is a man who has no scruple as far as bargaining goes. If he buys a car, these poor car salespeople have no check. They don't know what hits them. Uh, it is not just that they reduce the price to half of what is on the, on the window. They also probably throw in everything, including, including their wife, to just get rid of him out of that. 
but that's how he saves a lot of money. And it is one of these things that I've taught my boys. The very first thing is, well, is that the best price you can give me? Within reason, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the thing. But you might be surprised how often with just that little sentence, is that the price, best price you can give me? You get 10% off or something like that. Well, guys, this is, this is okay. This is, this is, you don't have to, you know, there's so many things. And that's just the example of the money. And as you're right, you're 56 lessons. That's a hell of a lot. That's cool. I need, I need to say, so that's my book, My Steps to Sobriety. And um, it's, it's all about my steps to sobriety, you would think. Well, that's the first part there. And that is all about alcohol and what it does to you. And maybe what's not such a clever idea. The second part there, that is really the 12 steps in a way that you can recognize it. Now, that part there, that's where the magic is. And that's your 56 steps, just my version of it. Because challenges will keep going and they will keep coming and they're just there. So it's all quite pretty to say, I stopped drinking and I'm going to be a new man and I meditate now. Yeah. And then the money runs out and then depression hits you and then trauma hits you. But all these things are there. So you might as well start learning something about it. Get, lose your, your financial virginity. Actually know what, what compound interest is. Know how you can maybe save, save money by doing, doing a budget, things like that. So that's what you are doing, which is fantastic, yeah. which is great. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, it's what I feel like I can do. So, <laughs> and these are powerful, powerful things because it goes back to basics. Uh, as I, as I was growing up, no one taught me about money because my parents had no clue about money. So everyone was trying to play lotto and somehow hit the jackpot. Yeah, about that. Um, my father, I did the maths once. Uh, he paid. He played lotto every week since he was sixteen until he died. So that money was just $10 each week, but with compound interest that ended up something like 360,000. Um, and needless to say, he never won anything bar, you know, $50 here or there. So essentially he basically played uh, a whole house away, hoping that one day there will be this magic thing. So I come from that background. No one taught me that. And it's only down the line that I started looking into it that I suddenly developed an appreciation and now know how to look after my money. Many people out there don't. And if you come out of a foster system, I don't know that there were life lessons like that being taught. It's certainly at, at schools, these life lessons are not taught. You, you learn a lot of interesting things and some of them are good, some of them not so. But you know, I think as far as I'm concerned, everyone should go mandatory at age 18. They should go four weeks into rehab um, or to, to life school of sorts. Um, yes, absolutely. This would be so good, wouldn't it? And and to actually bring these lessons into the schools. So is there is there have you ever considered actually going into the schools and and holding holding a talk uh going in there and sharing your story yes actually that that is one of my goals i want to write um i want to write three books in the next year uh one's a children's book 
Um, and and that, that would just be called, it was not okay. Just kind of teaching kids to advocate for themselves. Um, one would be my memoir and yeah. another one would be the, the steps that I'm putting into, into the YouTube channel. It's a lot of work though. It's a lot of work. And I'm literally just learning how to make Zoom work. But those are my goals. And what I want to do when, when quarantine is over, what I really want to do is go, I want to take AA basically, but turn it into like a foster AA where People who are former fosters get together. They talk about what they've experienced. But then the second part of the meeting are these life skills. You know, I just think that that would be an amazing one. I'm building community and two, I'm addressing the things, you know, because so many people are like, what we need are free schools. And I'm, I'm like, do you realize that if you're under 35, you can go to school for free? It's, it's right there. So here you go. Here's the forms. Let's mm -hmm. sit here and fill them out instead of sitting back there and doing nothing, you know? So I'm not a very, I'm nice, but I'm not, uh, I'm not minced mouth, you know? I'm very much like, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Do it. My exactly. poor son. Yeah. No, 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 no. Show them the path. Show them the path. You don't have to, yes. to hold their hand, go there. But many people don't even know that if they just open that door, there's this beautiful path waiting for them. They just don't right. know what is out there. And for you just to say, it's okay to feel like the way you are, but did you know that actually you could do A, B, C, D? And once you have right. achieved that, that opens that door. And then once that door is open, you can go from there to there. And you think, wow, really? Because people right. are hopeless. They they have lived in their in their awful cocoon for such a long time so they're bitter and and it's in their own mind is that plus their own world is celebrated that. but it's also celebrated right now i mean we're definitely more of a of a uh entitlement entitled culture than i can ever remember being right and so my whole thing is <laughs> empower don't entitle Oh, and no, so no. when you ask me going into schools, I'm like, I don't know that schools want to hear my message because I, it just doesn't seem like the language they want to hear right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I want not too long ago, maybe a month or two or so ago, I had enough of my two boys not pulling their socks up. And I mean, they're 17 and 19 for crying out loud. So I let rip you bloody entitled millennials. <laughs> just, just all the stereotypes. Got <laughs> and I think the message got brought home because we are laughing now about entitled millennials. Um, they, but they, they accept and they 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 realize that they are little entitled. So I am with you hundred percent on that message. Uh, but people need to learn it themselves. Uh, people need to take the steps. You can only show them. And right. having said that, by you going out there to a school auditorium and share some of your story, you might actually open up that door just that little bit 
for that little child that you that the teachers didn't even know what was going on because it's a world in hiding the children don't just right. come out hey i'm abused <laughs> no right. no they every everything is hidden but you suddenly suddenly telling your story will change that one little boy that one little girl and i think that is the power you having this book the children book out there having it in libraries where children who are going for the library and actually seeing that book wow or where maybe a librarian reads it because i doubt very much that mommy and daddy would buy it for them um so uh but it's still suddenly it is out there suddenly the, the little boy might look at it and think it's not okay that I, that something my stepdad touches me you know this right. is where it starts so beautiful 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 don't you dare stop writing these books okay don't you dare this is this is cool <laughs> and and tell you what we'll finish that interview and then we talk uh offer to offer sure, yeah. um sure. i'm just i'm just i've just uh finished uh, a children's book and i've got some other children's book offers uh around me so let's let's talk and let's see how we all can collaborate a little bit more and let's actually let's make this world better this is there's yes. so much shit going out there it's it's ah, it's we have got the power and you guys you guys listening in there's a damn good reason you listen to that there is obviously you have got you have got the wish to to change the world as well your own world and why stop there hmm? you know it is so much so much there and it is it's beautiful to change your own world to then refocus your 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 joy, your passion, and let that shine. And you have no idea who you influence them. And that is that is powerful. So guys that's legacy. Well exactly. Oh beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so no more invisible. No more invisible children. Right. No, no. Right. Speak up uh and and take charge. And I think that it, it doesn't matter if you're a foster child or if you're are a, a child with a different background it does not matter it doesn't matter if you're a child in a child's body or if you're a child who is now 60 it's still the same message okay so please go out there it's not it's okay to be it's okay to be not okay okay it's it's okay to feel not right it's not okay to just wallow in it and sit it in it and be the victim it's okay to speak up and it's okay to redefine yourself and that's that's what carib is doing there so if you guys are uh are part of the foster community either from uh, people who are actually fostering themselves uh, i think it would be a powerful powerful thing to actually read these stories and listen to these stories and of course if you're if you're in, uh, have been in a foster system you it might be a wonderful thing for you to to touch base with these stories so where are these stories what are your websites sure it's um across most platforms uh let's see facebook I also have a Facebook group for community, YouTube, that's where most things are, Anchor, which means that you can find me on Apple Podcast. Uh, and all of that is at Age Out Rise Up. 
You can also reach me at, if you want to send me a private message um, for interviews or just because you need to talk to someone, that's fine. That's uh, ageoutriseup at gmail.com. On Twitter, I'm Carib Mars. And on LinkedIn, I'm Carib Mars. Perfect. Carib, it was so beautiful to talk to you today. Thank you for all the hard work that you're doing there. Thank you for sharing your passion. And thank you for coming onto my show. It was a, a ball for me to interview you. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and you guys out there, look after yourself. It's a beautiful life. Make the most out of it. Bye. Dream on.